Pastor Stan has been taking us on a tour of the book of Philippians, and uh, today we're going to pull over in chapter 3 and look at verse 12 to 14 and see what God's Word and the Holy Spirit has to say to our hearts. So with that, everybody stand up. Come on, get up. You've been sitting down long enough. And you're gonna, we're going to read together what's on the screen, all right? And the guys in the back are going to move real quick, too. Ready? Go. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Here's what I feel Paul was encouraging the church at Philippi back in the day. To experience the best life, a follower of Jesus needs to be focused spiritually. Three thoughts from our text in Philippians that give some insight on how to be focused. First thought, Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. I don't mean to say, here's what Paul is saying. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. I haven't reached complete. The, the, the race is not finished. I'm not fully mature yet. But I press on. Everybody say, I press on. Paul said, I contend for. I fight in another version it says. But I press on to possess that perfection, that completeness, that maturity, that finished product, that finished product in terms of a life lived well for Christ, for which Jesus first possessed me. Love this verse of Scripture. It's one of my life verses. That I lay hold of that which Jesus laid hold of my life for. That I have a life of purpose, a life of meaning. Paul, in his love letter to the followers of Jesus in Philippi, urged them to be committed. In other words, be wholeheartedly devoted. I haven't achieved perfection yet. I'm not complete yet. I'm not finished yet. But I press on. I contend for. Another version says it like this. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of. There's action in those words. There's perseverance in those words. There's determination in those words. I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. If we want to grow and mature spiritually, we must be willing to press on. I need to make every effort to take hold of. I need to contend. I need to fight for. Don't settle for less than what Jesus has for us. We need to be committed to, be, to growing up in our relationship with God and the purposes that God has for us. Just this past season, we have a football team here at the high school, but, and just this past season, Coach Grace asked me to, to coach some of the young guys up on, actually some of the, the players up on how to snap, how to long snap the ball. Now, let me just explain what that means to those of you who don't care. <laughs> In football, there's this guy called the center, which is what I played, and he takes this ball, and his, his job is to take the ball on, the, on that particular play and throw it between his legs at a velocity such that it reaches accurately to the hands of another guy who's standing back here as his teammate. He's called the punter. Everybody say punter. I know you don't care, but just work with me. So the punter gets the ball. He steps forward and he kicks it. It's about three seconds is what it takes. But there's an art and a science to that long snap. And so I'm trying to explain to these young guys how to do it. And they're looking at me like bullfrogs in a hailstorm. You ever see that? So I, I said, okay, guys, we're going to practice. Pretend this is the ball. I want you to take this ball, and I want you to snap it to me because it's an exercise. Later on, I'm going to show them a little bit more detail. 
So here's how they, this, this is how they responded. One of, the, one of the kids gets the ball and says, here's the ball. He catches it. That's okay. Throw it to me. He goes, okay, let's try that again, son. All right, I'm going to slap you in your head in a minute. <laughs> Just kidding. But I, but, but I said, look, I know you don't know anything about long snapping. I understand that. But I need, to, I need you to be committed to getting the ball to me. I need you to be committed to the ball. I will show you all the nuances. I, I'll show you uh, the details of how to place your hand, how to, how, how to get a good spin on it, all of that. So I, I'll do that for you. But in order for that to, to be effective, I need to know that you're committed. I need to know that you're committed to getting the ball to me. I know it's not going to look perfect. You're dumb. You don't know any better. <laughs> right? And I believe the Lord would say this. I can do more than you can imagine to help. I can help you grow. I can heal your heart. I can build you up. I can strengthen you. We can drill down and get to the details as we need to. But for you to get maximum benefit, I need to know that you're committed. I need to know that you're willing to press on. I, I need to know that you're willing to take hold of. I just need to know that you're committed. You're all in, right? Sometimes pressing on and taking hold of what Jesus has for us looks like running away from things that God says will mess us up. Sometimes it looks like pursuing the things God says will build us up. And sometimes it looks like willing to get into a street fight, spiritually speaking, of course. Touch on that a little bit later. Here's what he says in Timothy. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Look at verse 11. But flee from these things. Run away from those things that are going to tear you down. Flee from them, you man of God. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Contend for it. Don't just lay down. Get committed. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, if you, if you and I are committed to a life focused on growing spiritually, there's going to be some times when you get roughed up. Long snapping was not something that came to me naturally. It doesn't come to you naturally, to anybody naturally. But when I was at Oregon State, they called me guess a snap. In other words, because I was a center, they wanted me to snap the ball. The trouble is that ball went everywhere but to the punter. So the coach was happy to just kind of kick me off the special teams when I got to the pros, I realized that unless I perfect the art of long snapping, I wasn't going to have a job. In fact, I was sharing with some of the guys earlier when I was at, at Baltimore at the Colts camp. I went from first team to, to off the team in about four snaps because it went over the punter's head every single time. So fast forward a little bit. We're in Pittsburgh playing at Three Rivers Stadium in the USFL. And I, I've been snapping the ball. It's about maybe a, a third of the way through the season. I've gotten pretty good, so good that I could snap without even looking. I just get over the ball, boom. I just hear the call, and I snap it. It's good. So we're playing against Pittsburgh, and this big, ugly guy in front of me is just pounding my head. That's before they had the rule that you can't beat up the center because you're helpless. So he's just, got, he's, just, he's just backing off. As soon as I snapped off, wham, I just felt like a turtle. You know, every time I snapped the ball, my head's getting pounded. And so finally, and this is in the game, true story. So during the game, I come up, and I'm thinking to myself, another punt. Great. So I, before I line, up, I, line, I line up over the ball, and I, I talk to my, this guy on the other team. This is in the game. I say, hey, bro, look, check this out. You're killing me right now, right? 
got a bad headache. Could you just calm down? Could you give me a break? Tell you what, I won't run downfield if you won't beat the snot out of my head. Promise. So I'm just going to say, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, dude, you're killing me, okay? I promise you, I won't run downfield. Coach won't see me run downfield as long as you don't hit me. He goes, okay, works for me. I said, I right, hold up. So I'm talking to him the whole time, and I'm snapped because I don't look, right? I'm good at this. Wham, I snap the ball. I get up, and we're pretending like we're fighting each other. And he's looking over my head. He's got this look. He goes, hey, bro. I said, what? Ball went over the dude's head. <laughs> I was, and I was like, oh, dang it. And so, so I said, come on, let's keep fighting. So we're pretending like we're fighting. My teammates are chasing the stupid ball down. And he's, he's kind of, he's, he's calling the game for me. He goes, all right, he got 15-yard loss. All right, he got the ball. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. So I look on the sidelines, and the coach is like, You see, I was more concerned about my comfort. I was not committed to delivering the ball. And there's times we're more concerned about our comfort. Oh, I don't feel like, you know, she's on my last nerve. Well, guess what? You're on her last nerve. Be committed. She's your wife for crying out loud. He's your husband. And I know there's some tough stuff there, but you know what? You got to just, life gets, it's, it's rough out there. Yeah, your kids are stupid. They're kids. Dumb. Trust me. You used to be a kid. Yeah, there you go. Just thought I'd remind you. Remember that dumb stuff you did? Yeah, remember that spanking you got for that? Come on now. Life is messy. People are messy. Stuff gets messy. But in the midst of the mayhem, we've got to press on. We've got to hold on. We must be committed. Ephesians chapter 3 says this. I pray... That from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. The question isn't whether or not God is committed. I submit to you that even if you you or I are not committed, God has already shown that he's committed. He's all in. If you have any doubts about whether God's committed to you or whether he loves you, Romans chapter 5, ought to clear that up. Here's what it says. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet flatlining, not a pulse, not a spiritual pulse. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, the scriptures say. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. How amazing How mind-bending is that kind of love? 
Even when we were helpless and hopeless, God was committed to us. Even when we were enslaved to our sins, God was committed to us. Even when we were blinded by our pride and arrogance, God was committed to us. Even when we were worthless, hopeless, he was committed to us. How much more will we receive from the author of life now that we've embraced and accepted his forgiveness? Let's be committed to, to Jesus living large in and through our lives. Second thought out of Philippians chapter 3. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. The second thought is keep looking forward. If you were here last week, Pastor Stan talked about Paul setting up kind of his pedigree of his background, Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, he was, a, he was a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, if you will. So he listed all his accomplishments, and in, in verse uh, 7 through 9, he says this. I once thought these things were valuable, but I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is from Paul, who at one time hated and persecuted Christians, threw them in jail. This is the same Paul who endorsed the execution of Christians. This is Paul the apostle who eventually gave his life to Christ and had a radical transformation. This is the Paul that, from the, at, at this particular time, he was writing the letters to the Phil, church of Philippi from prison because of his faith. This is the Paul who's author over to over half the New Testament. This is Paul the Apostle who would eventually be executed because of his faith and love for Jesus. There was a time when I thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Garbage. I'm looking forward. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of us. That's where we used to live at one time. That's where we played one time. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There was a time when those things were valuable to me, but now I count them as garbage. I'm looking forward. I've had the privilege of serving on our pastoral team with Pastor Stan and Randy and Alex and the guys, Jenny. I've been here for nearly 12 years, and I remember when I first began to preach, I'd get real nervous and uneasy because there was a time when I didn't follow Jesus. When I was at Oregon State, I did a lot of dumb stuff. Stuff that I'm ashamed of because I hurt people in the process. And so whenever it was, I was asked to preach, I, I'd pray a prayer similar to this. Oh, God, please don't let any of my teammates or classmates from OSU be there. That was a prayer. I was, I was just, there's stuff that I'm not proud of. And I remember one time this couple came up and said, hey, we knew you at Oregon State. I thought, great, that's awesome. <laughs> then I was waiting for the other foot to drop.
I gave the steering wheel of my life to Jesus as a senior at OSU. And from that moment until this, I've tried to press on. I've tried to fight a few good fights. I've fought a good, few good fights. I've pushed aside the temptation to dwell on the past, failures and successes. And I'm working on looking forward. I hope I'm growing. And I know that my wife and kids are hoping that I'm growing too. Just yesterday, we had a conversation that reminded me that I am not growing as fast as I need to. <laughs> you say that, isn't that right, Stan? I hate it when our wives are right. It's so humbling. Philippians chapter 3 says this, but we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Latch on to that thing. Latch on to the things that God wants you to hold on to. And then ditch the, ditch the dumb stuff. That's later on. It says, it says, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. First Corinthians says this, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. What childish things are you holding on to this morning? Is it really worth it? How's that working out for you? Not so good? Then knock it off. Stop it. You're hurting yourself and hurting others around you. That's not in my notes. That's free. Somebody needed that this morning. I've got good news to, for you, though. The God that is telling us to shed that stuff, shed it aside, he gives us the power to do it the right way. He gives us the ability to live it out right. Because we don't have anything. It's like the kid, is, he's worried about getting the, he doesn't know anything. I just want him to be committed to getting the ball to me. Jesus just wants us to be committed to getting our life towards him. Get it in his hands. He'll fix it. But you've got to be committed. You want to know, oh, how's it going to I don't know how it's going to work out. Just get it to the man. He's the one that's going to work it out. Stop tripping. For a few weeks at Pursuit, we dug into Jeremiah 29, 11. I love the group of young people that we get to hang out with uh, on a weekly basis. Invite you to come and join us. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock is when all the fun happens. But we talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, and, and I love God's message to the nation of Israel during their captivity. They were prisoners when he was talking to them. They were hopeless. They were destitute. They were jacked up, locked up. And he's telling them, he, he's declaring to them, hey, Guys, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good. I know you got shackles on you, but I got plans for you, and they're good plans. I know you've got all kinds of stuff going on that's messed up all around you. All hell is breaking loose. I got plans for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future to look forward and a hope. In those days when you pray, I'll listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. You and I have been designed on purpose, created on purpose with a purpose. Here's the thought. Let's not allow our successes or failures to define us. Let God's purposes and plans, his word and ways, God's hope and love guide and guard us as we keep looking forward. Which brings me to my third point. 
this morning, or third thought, run to win. Run to win. Philippians, let's go back to that book. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. This is, this is the third thought. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Be committed. Keep looking forward. And finally, run to win the prize. The prize Paul's referring to is heaven. The prize Paul's referring to is a life lived for God fully. Listen to 1 Corinthians 9. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Paul was not politically correct. He said run to win. You ever been to those games where they don't keep score? Boring. <laughs> Just saying. All athletes are disciplined. You know, I'm sorry. Anyway. I was about to go there, honey. I'm going to stop because the Holy Spirit will check out. Pastor said, don't let your convictions be other people's. Anyway. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. I like prizes. Love prizes. Don't like running. But if I'm going to run, I might as well win. This is not a runner's body. Trust me. The only place, the only place I ran to was the refrigerator. I'll win that race. And if I don't, you're going to get hurt. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus is calling us. Paul must have been an avid sports fan. I like the way his, the, the, the imagery that he uses, the metaphors that he uses to the followers of Jesus. So verse, verse 24 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs but only one gets the prize? So run, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that'll fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I love that. I run purposefully, Paul is saying. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, in, athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Love the way he differentiates between an athlete and a fan. I like it because I like his use of sports analogies and metaphors because it applies to our culture. We're all into sports, aren't we? I don't know if you ever heard of College Game Day. Anybody ever seen that program, ESPN's College Game Day? They feature two of the top teams in the nation and they show up with this, you know, entourage of all this, just a bunch of stuff. And then they highlight them and they follow them through their pregame preparations and then they show the game. Well, what if ESPN focused in on the fan? their experience, and the athlete and their experience on game day. It'd be interesting. Probably looks something like this. The fan rolls out of bed at the crack of noon, still recovering from a night of binge eating at Domino's. The athlete, after a restless night of sleep because he's anticipating the game, gets up at the crack of dawn, showers, and eats a healthy and hearty, hearty game day breakfast. The fan lays out his game gear, plastic poncho because it might rain, 
cooler with extra snacks and extra drinks because it might get into overtime. Stadium seats, got some logos on there to let them know what team I'm for. Need that cushion because the bleachers are hard and cold. The athlete checks his game equipment and to ensure every piece is accounted for and working properly. Rain poncho, not an option. Cooler is, is for water or team trainer approved liquids only. Sideline seating is, seating is reinforced metal bench designed for maximum load capacity, not comfort. Seat cushions are not an option. The fan Googles the easiest route to the stadium and free parking areas. The athlete has been at the stadium for hours reviewing the game plan, making last-minute adjustments and putting on his game gear. The fan meanders through the parking lot, approaching scalpers for the cheapest ticket he could buy, knowing full well that once he gets in the, in the stadium, he's going to work his way down, get as close to the field as possible. The athlete is on the field, warming up and stretching every muscle and joint in preparation for the struggle that he's about to be engaged in. It's almost kickoff. The fan settles into his seat, a full bucket of popcorn in one hand, nachos in the other. He can hardly contain his excitement of digging into his tasty concoction of popcorn and nachos mixed together. Pop nachos. <laughs> the athlete is focused. He's looking downfield, surveying the opponent, his mind rapidly clicking through his assignments that he's about to execute in a few moments. Anxious excitement courses through his body. He's practiced, he's prepared, and in a few moments, the game he loves will begin. The fan excitedly stands up digging feverishly through his layers of clothing, hoping to locate his smartphone in time to Instagram his pop nachos before kickoff. <laughs> the athlete and the fan are both at the game. They're both in the stadium. Their experiences are worlds apart. Paul is saying to the followers of Jesus, just like the athlete who's in training, your priorities and how you live your life are going to be very different from someone who's not. The athlete is committed to training. The fan is not. The athlete has a sleep and diet plan designed for maximum performance. The fan does not. The athlete's lifestyle complements their training and positions them for the best outcome. The fan doesn't care. The athlete runs to win. The fan to Instagram pop nachos. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an external prize, eternal prize rather. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what, I, what it should. Run to win. Run to win. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I forget the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, and I press on to reach that end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. I submit to you this morning that to experience the best life possible, a follower of Jesus needs to be focused spiritually. To do this, the apostle says that we need to be committed. We need to keep looking forward, and we need to run to win.